You're listening to the Best in the World Sports Report. And we are back on another edition of the Best in the World Sports Report. What's going on, y'all? My name is John Brown here once again to talk Philly sports with all of you. It's been a week, almost two weeks actually, since I've done a podcast. A lot has gone on. As many as many of you know, I uh, this isn't my my real job, I guess. Would that is is that how you would put it? Uh. You know, I worked on Breakfast on Broad on the Comcast Network. That show is no more. Uh, It was canceled uh, a couple of weeks ago. So I'm not working on that show anymore. Um, It's disappointing. It is really disappointing because uh, that show was something new, you know. And when you work in television, uh, whether it be in front of the camera or behind the camera like me, um, you want to try new things. You want to do new things. You look forward for the, to the opportunity to try something different. And working on Breakfast on Broad was that opportunity for me. Um, what you also know and what you will also learn working in this industry is things don't always work out as planned. And as a result, um, unfortunately, the show is no longer on the air and I am no longer employed by Comcast Sportsnet. But, and, and let's be real, that's, it's, it's a hard pill to swallow. It's been, it, it hasn't quite been a week yet since we all uh, said goodbye and uh, walked away. But, you know, it, it hurts. You know, you're disappointed. But in the end, I walk away knowing that I tried. You know, I was I was a stage manager of that show. So it was my responsibility really to help keep people looking good. Make sure people looked at the right cameras. Make sure your talent knows uh, what's happening, what's going on. And, and I took that job seriously. And I did whatever I could. I, I, I did everything that I could to help that show succeed. And with that, you like I said, you know, things don't always work out. You know, it's not about pointing fingers. It's not about placing blame, you know. And sometimes, you know, there are times you want to do that and you kind of look for that. You look for opportunities to blame people, to point fingers and, you know, to throw some shade. But uh, this is just, you know, this is just not one of those cases, you know. In the end, I, I, I know I tried my best. I know the people that I worked with tried their best. And unfortunately, it just it didn't work out. You know, it just didn't work out. I met a lot of good people on that show. Work with a lot of good people, you know, especially my man TJ and my brother Lamont. Those are two awesome people. Two awesome people who I met working on, Bob. Uh, I, I had known Lamont before. I had met Lamont before Bob, but I met TJ working on Bob. Both great guys. Two people I worked in the studio with on that show every day. Loved working with them. Uh, a couple other guys, Bernie, uh, Pat, those guys. I wish those guys the best. Brant, too. Um, good people. Of course, Alexis. Got to give a shout out to Alexis. Uh, a firm, strong supporter of Brothers Talking Pucks. When we do Brothers Talking Pucks, Alexis listens 
all the time. Doesn't always listen to best in the world, and I do hold that against her, but she supports Brothers Talking Pucks, so she's not completely bad. Although I told her I would never be Team Alexis, but that's a whole other story. Um, she was a director. She was a great director as far as I'm concerned. I liked working with her. She was uh, probably one of my favorite people over there. Her, uh, of course, uh, Jess Bogey, a.k.a. the Bogey Monster, Ben Saint, uh, Mac Producer, Caitlin. Caitlin, who I've had on this show and on Brothers Talking Pucks. You know, great people, man. Great people. Shout out to everybody who, you know, who worked on Bob. You know, I'm glad, you know, I'm glad the talent of that show is staying on it. Comcast Sportsnet. You know, they they had to let some people go, of course, and that, that is... You know, that's, that's, that's a terrible thing. You know, you don't want to see people lose their jobs. I truly didn't want to see myself lose my own job, but hey, it happens. But, you know, I'm, I'm glad the talent stayed on. I think uh, Jill, Jillian Mealy is going to be a name you hear from in this city for a long time. You will hear Jillian Mealy's name in this city for a very, very long time. And I'm, you know, I'm happy to have had an opportunity to work with her. I think Sarah Baker is an awesome hockey mind. I think she is what I think uh, she's one of the smartest hockey people I know. Whether you agree or disagree with her, she knows her stuff. She's been on Brothers Talking Pucks before. She'll be on Brothers Talking Pucks again. We'll try and get her on Best in the World as well. You know, Rob Ellis, that's my homie. That's my mentor. All around good dude. Glad to call that man a co-worker, a colleague, and a friend. Barrett Brooks. Uh, I met him on Breakfast on Broad. Didn't know him before. Glad to have known him. He's been on this show plenty of times. Plenty, plenty of times. We'll have him on again. That is a man who has had my back a lot. I love that brother. Barrett Brooks is a good dude. I love that man. You know, I mean, he's he's a great dude, probably has in the last two years become one of my closest friends. Great friend, great guy. Shout out to him. And that's, you know, that's pretty much it, you know. You know, I I, I don't have a lot of bad things I can say about Comcast Sportsnet or, you know, working for the Peacock. Uh, that's primarily because I'm still waiting on some money from them and I don't want to mess that up. But, in the, you know, <laughs> but still. You know, it is what it is. I worked there for a long time. And, you know, might work might work for them again. Who knows? I don't know what the future holds. So, in the end, you know, I'm disappointed that it didn't work out. You know? When you try, but when you try something new, that happens. That happens. But, you know, the show goes on. And by the show going on, I mean the best in the world sports support. I'm going to still be here. I can do more best in the world, have more interviews. I mean, in the end, one of the one of the good things about Breakfast on Broad is a lot of the guests that I've had on Best in the World started out with, it came from relationships I built on Breakfast on Broad. I shook a lot of hands on that show. Met a lot of good people. And in turn, those good people looked out for me and came on to this, uh, came on to this podcast and came on to this show. A lot of good people that I met on that show reached out to me after Breakfast on Broad went off the air, you know, just trying to make sure I was okay. 
And a lot of those people let me know they'd still come on breakfast on, excuse me, they'd still come on best in the world. That's going to happen, you know. I'll continue to do that because that's what I do. You know, I, I'm blessed enough to have a voice in this world. I'm blessed enough to be able to share my thoughts. And I don't care if, you know, five, five hundred, five thousand, five million people listen, whatever. I'm going to say what I got to say. And that's what I'm going to do. Because it's the best in the world sports report. All right. So let's keep it going. What are we going to talk this week? You know what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the Sixers. You know, that's what's going on. That's what's hot these days. Well, the Sixers aren't necessarily hot because they've, uh, they're have they in a little bit of a losing streak but with uh, Joel Embiid being injured. And we'll get into, we'll get into that in depth. You know, the current state of the Sixers a little bit later. Hopefully I'm going to have, uh, hopefully on this podcast, we will have Jovan offered uh, from uh, Total Sports Live. Always good to have him on the show. Always good, you know, always good to have Javon on the show. But let's get back into, let's get back into something I wanted to talk to you about. And I wanted to start with uh, last night's game, Wednesday's game. On Wednesday, the Sixers lost to the Spurs 111-103. That's not a shocker. The Spurs are who they are. The Sixers are what they are. But in the end, the Spurs were led by Kawhi Leonard, had 32 points. Uh, Aldridge had 15. Tony Parker had 18. For the Sixers, uh, Ja had 20 points. Dario had 20 points. Rocco, Robert Covington had 18 points. And Nick Stauskas came in with 16 points. As for the game itself, you know, it was what you what you would expect from a Sixers game. You know, uh, Sixers were clearly overmatched. They're, I mean, they're playing one of the better teams in the NBA. Yeah, in fact, they have the second best record in all of the NBA. And the Sixers, being who they are, they had no answer for the Sixers big. I mean, for the Spurs big guns. I mean, we all know it. The Spurs got horses, man. Leonard, Aldridge. Parker, then to have guys like Mills and Manu Ginobili coming off the bench. I mean, there's a reason why the Spurs are who they are. There is a reason why the Spurs are the second best team in all the NBA. They're legit. Now, they might not be able to beat Golden State, but in the end, it's going to be a tough out. It's going to, a team is going to, whoever team puts them out is going to have a hell of a time putting them out of the league. Of putting them out of the playoffs. You know, that's that's not going to... The Spurs aren't a pushover. You know, they're, they're for real. They're not for fate. Understand that. And truthfully, the Sixers team is not in a spot yet. They are not in a position where they can expect to beat a team like the Spurs right now. Hopefully that will change in years to come. But right now they're not. And that doesn't bother me. As a fan, that doesn't bother me. I'm I'm cool with that because I know we're on the right path. And we'll get more into that. As for the Sixers, you know, they showed some fight. The Spurs kept trying to build the lead. But the Sixers kept pulling close. 
And despite falling down, double uh, falling behind double digits a bunch of times, they kept fighting back. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not out here going to talk about moral victories or anything like that. You know, there, 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 are no, there are no moral victories in basketball. There are no moral victories in professional sports at all anyway. That's not what I'm trying to say. That's not what I'm getting at. But, you know, in the end, as this team continues to grow, as this team continues to build, you remember that old, uh, that old saying that they had before they got to trust the process? Remember, it was together we built? Well, what they're building together, they're on the right path. They're, they're, they're going somewhere. And for me, as a fan, I think it's hard to dispute that the Sixers are on the right path. They have a blossoming star in Joel Embiid. They have a possible cornerstone player waiting in the wings in Ben Simmons. Dario Sarge is legit, and he's blossoming into his role. I think, you know, as as, as good of a player as Ersan Ilyasova has been this season, I watch what Dario Sarge is doing, and that that's going to be... That's going to be what helps ease the pain because I don't think the Sixers are bringing Ilyasova back. I like what he's done. I like who he is. But I think, you know, as far as Ilyasova, as far as Ilyasova goes, I think that he commands too much money. I think he's playing himself into a big contract. I think Ilyasova, I'm, I'm not calling him a superstar or whatever, but I think Ilyasova is playing himself into big money. And I don't think the Sixers need to give Ersan Ilyasova big money this offseason. So as he walks, you put Dario Saric in his role. And I'm cool with that. You got other role players, you know, developing. You got TJ McConnell, of course, you know, playing out of his mind. And I think he'll be even better once he assumes his natural role with this team, which is one of the one of the first guys off the bench in that backcourt. I think the four guys who are on the floor with TJ McConnell come infinitely better. And you know, when you talk about the the struggles, if you want to call it that, of Jalil Okafor, I think part of his struggles and the struggles that he has had is that he just doesn't get enough court time with TJ McConnell, who is the team's best point guard. Ja Okafor is somebody who needs to have, you know, he needs someone to facilitate for him. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, that's just his game. You know, he is a classic back-to-the-basket center. And he need, so he needs someone to facilitate for him. And that is more T.J. McConnell's game than it is Sergio Rodriguez's game. And that's why, I mean, what, I mean, you saw it last night. You saw it last night when Jai's on the floor with T.J. McConnell, you see the type of game that he has. But it all. But when you see your star player having a game like that, you know it. I, it also speaks to 
the ability in the game of TJ McConnell, who last season, people were wondering, why is he even in the league? The same was said for Robert Covington. The same was said about Rashawn Holmes. But yet, they are becoming very good role players. As this team grows, they are developing into good role players. So for, so for me, so for me, having thought all along that we needed something like the process, I'm good. I'm good. And when I say that to say that we all know that in this city, in the city of Philadelphia, we beg and we, you know, we, we always want teams that don't win to blow it up and start all over again. But the Sixers prove that although fans in this city always want teams that don't win to blow it up and start all over again, it's a hard pill to swallow when they actually do. Because we sat here and we talked about how the Sixers were going nowhere. They were not, you know, before this process, they were a middling team. They were like the eighth seed, the seventh seed, maybe if at best the sixth seed. They would lose in the first round. They'd get a crappy draft pick and they'd just be good enough to do the same thing all over the next year. And there were people who were saying, you know what, I'm tired of this. Blow it up and start all over again. And that's what the Sixers did. And now you're starting to see the winds of change blowing. And as they blow, I'm telling you as a fan, as someone watching the game, I'm good with this. I can't lie. The last few years of Sixers basketball was tough. I mean, at some points it was downright unbearable. It was embarrassing. It was infuriating. But, you know, as the critics grew, as the number of people criticizing this team grew, I always saw the direction that this team was trying to go. I saw what they were trying to build. Didn't always like it. It was hard to stomach at times. But I felt like there was a direction. They tore it down and were building it back up. They were building it back up around big men because at the point, at basically, they found themselves in positions where they were getting high draft picks, and at the picks that they, at where they were picking, a big man was where they, that's what they, that's what was there. That's what was there. They took what was there. Noel was there. Embiid was there. Okafor was there. Nonetheless, given all that, given all those draft picks, all those bad seasons, especially last year's 10-win season, we're starting to see a little bit of a return on that suffering. This team has a core. This is a team with a core. That core is Joel Embiid and quite possibly, hopefully, Ben Simmons. This is a team with an identity. They're, they're scrappy defenders. They get after the ball on defense. And on offense, they're unselfish, always, making, always looking to make that pass, that extra pass. 
They're always trying to find a better shot. They facilitate. You know, they're they're a team learning and growing into playing. When this team when this team is playing good fundamental basketball, they're so much better and so much more fun to watch. So as far as I'm concerned, the process is working, y'all. The process is working. Now look, man, I'm not out here I'm not out here trying to call this team, you know, I'm they're not contenders. I'm not guaranteeing a championship. I'm not out here even trying to talk about they're the best in the league. But what I'm saying is for a team that was stripped down to their, you know, <laughs> Broken down to their very last compound, as my man KRS-One would say. You know, for a team that was broken down to the bare bones. They were stripped butt naked and they were built back up. I am saying the process is working. The process is working, y'all. And that brings me to what was the biggest story coming out of Wednesday night in the NBA. Last night during the Knicks Clippers game, which which if you didn't know and I'm you know. <laughs> you know. It was a nationally televised game. By the way, the, during that game the Clippers actually won 119 to 115 and it was actually a pretty good game. But nobody's talking about the game. Nobody at all. What people are talking about is former Nick, Charles Oakley, getting arrested at the game. Apparently, he got into an altercation with uh, the Knicks, with Knicks owner James Dolan and Madison Square Garden security. Oakland, oh, excuse me, Oakley was seen on ESPN as well as countless camera phones that found their way to Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, you know, all that. It was everywhere. But he's seen, visibly seen, you know, clearly seen yelling at people, shoving security guards. He's got his finger in somebody's face. He ends up being dragged out and wrestled to the floor. And that was on ESPN. ESPN showed him live getting dragged out and wrestled to the floor on national television. Now, the Knicks have been in the news all this week. And they've been in the news for all the wrong reasons. Primarily because their team president, Phil Jackson, the man with, I'm pretty, pretty sure he's got more rings than fingers, but whatever. Team president, Phil Jackson chose to throw some shade at Carmelo Anthony, who is his star player. Threw some shade at him in a couple of tweets. First of all, why is a 70-year-old dude tweeting anyway? For real? Get your grandpa off Twitter. That's first and foremost. If you're a Knicks fan, why is this old dude out here tweeting anyway? My grandfather doesn't know a darn thing about Twitter. For that matter, neither does my father. I probably got a couple more years to tweet before I'm too old for Twitter. So, I mean, so for Phil Jackson to be out here tweeting some shade out here, subtweeting at 70 plus years old, that's kind of suspect in itself. But nonetheless, 
let's keep it real. The Knicks are going nowhere. Nowhere, y'all. They currently sit 22 and 32. 10 games under 500. Now, this is only, granted, this is only three, they're only three games better than the Sixers. They're not in the playoffs. And they've lost seven of their last 10. Seven of, seven of their last 10 games. They got a roster full of aging stars. You know, that the core of that team, the core of that team are pretty, are, are a lot closer to has-been status than they are superstar status at this point. Joe Kim Noah is hurt. Derrick Rose is always hurt. Even when he's healthy, he's hurt. You know, unfortunately, that's just where his career is at this point. And that's a shame because Derrick Rose was a beast. And the these two guys were their prize off-season pickups. They were supposed to help the Knicks. They were supposed to put them back in rel- basketball relevancy. You know, they got the star rookie, Kristaps Porzingis, but he's regressed this season. He's not playing the way he was. Quite frankly, I, you know, and I'll say this for another show. You know, in fact, this is somebody, if you, you know, you hear this, you want to hit me up online, that's cool. I think Kristaps, I think Kristaps Porzingis is overrated. I do. A lot of people talk about how the Sixers should have gotten him over uh, over Okafor, and I am not one of them. Give me Ilyasova and Sarge over Kristaps Porzingis. I'm good. I'm good. I I I I think he's overrated. I do. I'm with the kid that was crying. To, I was with the kid that was crying at the draft. Yeah, he was right. All right. Now I know he took it back, and I, you know, him and Porzingis is cool now. But I think he was right. He was right to cry, because Porzingis is overrated. Jalil Okafor, and when they played head to head all last season, when they were both rookies, Okafor ate Porzingis's lunch. Plain, plain and simple. Kristaps Porzingis can't guard Jalil Okafor. That's the truth. That is the truth. But nonetheless, that's still their star player, and. <laughs> He hasn't, you know, he hasn't played at that same level this season. He's been hurt a little bit, and he's struggled. And all this has the Knicks where they are right now, spinning their wheels, going nowhere. They have no real direction. They're stuck between knowing whether they need to be building around Porzingis, if he is really the franchise player. You know, they ha- they still have to find that out. Or should they be building, still building around Carmelo, who is your franchise player of the moment? And all this is happening while the front office seems to be in turmoil. You got old 70-year-old Phil on Twitter throwing shade at your star player. And then you got, then you have one of the best players, in, one of the best, most popular players in your team's history ready to throw hands at your owner in your building, in front of your fans on nationwide television. Your fan base is watching. Your fan base is watching, cheering for Charles Oakley. 99% of Knicks fans want Charles Oakley to beat up James Dolan. It was it, it was trending on Twitter, Free Oak. Everybody's talking about Free Oak. I don't even think the cops wanted to arrest him. I bet you if... I, I'm pretty sure if James Dolan was somewhere there, the cops probably would not have tried to apprehend uh, Charles Oakley until he got a swing in. 
They would have let him punch him. They would have. They would have let. They would have let Charles Oakley punch James Dolan. That's how they feel. And you're watching this all transpire because in the end, that's probably way more exciting than Knicks basketball right now. But hey, at least they're not tanking. Right? Right? They're not tanking, y'all. That's the good thing. You know, the Sixers, they were so bad. They were so, that was so horrible. They were such an embarrassment for all that tanking. Meanwhile, you got Charles Oakley ready to, th- ready to throw hands with James Dolan in the middle of your arena on a nationally televised game. That's not embarrassing. You're not embarrassed by that. You know, for all the people who was who were sitting there talking about how the Sixers needed to do more to be competitive at the moment. You know, they needed to be doing more to be winning at the moment, not just not just getting rid of good players and signing these players that didn't belong in the league. Trying, you know, basically what they were doing as they were trying to build that roster from the ground up. There were people who said, no, you got to bring in players that can help you win now. Well, guess what? When you do that, especially when you're a team that's not that good, know what you end up with? You end up with the New York Knicks. That's what you end up with. And I was talking to... To, to, to friends of mine who are Knicks fans and they were talking about how James Dolan was so far against he's so against tanking he doesn't want to tank he doesn't want to be viewed as as tanking well look at your squad is your squad any better are you getting any better look at your team yes you know what the Knicks sell out Madison Garden Madison Square Garden every night but what are the fans seeing? They're seeing mediocre basketball. They're seeing mediocre basketball and the chances that a team legend might beat up the owner. That's what you're getting when you go see a Knicks game nowadays. So, yeah, you know what? The Wells Fargo Center has been damn near empty for two, for three straight years. But at this point, when you see what this team has and the direction that they're going, I got to think that, you know what, it was worth it. Because I'm starting to see a return on my suffering. I would much rather have the mediocrity of the last three years than a team treading water only to never be that good. A team that was treading water for years only to be at best a team that was going to be eaten for breakfast by the the top team in your conference. So if that, you know, I don't want that. What's the point of that? To have a team like that and, you know, what else is going to happen? Yeah, you know what? Yeah, we'll, we'll sell out the Wells Fargo Center every day, have a team that, you know, might sell a whole bunch of tickets. And then at, the, at best, maybe you might see Dr. J want to fight Josh Harris. Is that what's going to happen? Or probably won't even be Dr. J because, you know, Dr. J is good. You know, he's a company man. And there's nothing wrong with that. Dr. J is a company man. It'll probably be somebody else who's not really in the organization right now. So the Sixers would be a mediocre squad, you know, a middling mediocre squad. And Clarence Weatherspoon is at the game every week trying to fight Josh Harris. That's what you that's what you'd see. If the if the Sixers were the Knicks, that's what you'd see every day. You know, you see uh Clarence Weatherspoon, Sharon Wright, and 
Tim Thomas trying to fight Josh Harris day in and day out. No thanks, y'all. No thanks. Now, another example. Let me give you another example because the Knicks are just one. Let's, let's look at the Chicago Bulls. The Chicago Bulls, they brought in Dwayne Wade and Ray John Rondo to kind of build around to, to, to build around Jimmy Butler. You have Jimmy Butler. You've gotten rid of Derrick Rose. So now you realize this is Jimmy Butler's team. You bring in Wade. You bring in Rondo. And that's a nucleus right now ready to implode. You got three grown men on social media and in traditional media taking shots at one another. All this and this squad is a game under 500. They're seventh in the East. And they got Detroit, uh, Char- Detroit, Charlotte, and a red hot Miami team hot on their heels. And if even if they hold down that playoff spot, they you know say say the season ends, they hold off, they make it to the playoffs. What is Chicago right now? Are they good enough to beat the Bulls? I mean, excuse me, are they good enough to beat the Celtics? No. Are they good enough to beat Cleveland? Hell no. What do you have? You got a team, you got you got two really old guys. You got two old guys in Wade and Rondo. Wade, more Wade than Rondo. You know, you got Miritich and nobody knows what he is. People thought he was a beast. People thought he was a player. But now nobody knows. You don't know. That's a team without a direction. That's a team that decided instead of tanking, instead of tearing it down and blowing it up, they would try to tread water. And what has that treading water gotten them? What has that gotten them? They're failing. When I look at where the Sixers are going, where the Sixers could go right now, I'm cool with with the Sixers. I'm cool with where the Sixers are. I want their future. I want the Sixers' future over the Chicago Bulls' present and the Knicks' present. Because the future of the Bulls and the future of the Knicks aren't even worth discussing right now. It's not even worth discussing. So that brings me to this question, and this is a question I want to pose to the people listening to this podcast. Does seeing the mess that teams like the Bulls and the Knicks, seeing the mess that they're currently in, does that make you appreciate the process that much more? Hit me up on social media, at B-I-T-W Sports. That's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at B-I-T-W Sports. Hit me up. Tell me what you think. Do you appreciate the process more when you see the failures of teams who have tried to remain relevant without necessarily rebuilding? You're seeing teams try that, and they're failing. I want to know what you think, all right? So let's take a look back. Let's jump in the time machine. Let's go back to 2012 and 2013. That was the end of the Doug. That was the last season of the Doug Collins era. That was the ill-fated Andrew Bynum season. That was the year the Sixers decided they were going to go all in. You know, they they had that, you know, that, that run to the second round of the playoffs where they lost to Boston in seven. But they decided, you know, they were going to make some huge changes to win now. 
And we all know how that turned out. All right. It was it was a fail. It was a colossal, colossal, epic fail. Now, meanwhile, that team, meanwhile, that season, the Knicks had Carmelo Anthony. They won 54 games. They were the second seed in the East. Now, that Carmelo team, they lost in the second round of the playoffs. All right. They lost in the second round of the playoffs, I believe, to the Pacers. I don't have that in front of me, but I believe they 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 lost in the second round to the Pacers. Now, in the years since the that year that following that year, Doug Collins left. Brett Brown came in, and that's when the new ownership, uh, well, the new ownership group was in. But that was, I believe, their second season running things. Second, maybe third. I don't know. But it became time to rebuild. That was the start of the process. 2013-2014 season. Now that brought some really, really lean years. Some bad basketball was seen in those you know, subsequent years. But the Sixers, you know, they, they, they gutted the team over the years. They gutted that team. The nucleus, you know, the prior nucleus of that team, the Spencer Hawses, the, the Drew Holidays, the Evan Turners, the Thad Youngs, all gone. Gone. And they're rebuilding that team through the draft. No big free agent, guys. No, you know, none of that. No, we're going to rebuild through the draft. And in the years since, they you know they they've used their draft picks, and they've gotten some big name players. They brought in Nerlens Noel, Joel Embiid, Dario Sarge, Jaleel Okafor, and Ben Simmons. And in the meantime, what they weren't doing was signing big name free agents, not even small name free agents. They were signing no name free agents, no name free agents that needed no name contracts. And they were and as they were getting rid of players, they're stockpiling picks. You know, stockpiling assets to keep adding to their evolving core. So for me, you know what? Although yes, it did it did provide for some really really bad basketball, but it was a direction. It was a direction. Now, granted, like I said, you know what? Sick over the past three three four years, I've seen some of the worst basketball I've seen in my forty years of life. There's no denying that, and there've been so many people. Blasting the Sixers for doing it this way, begging them to do more, to be more creative, uh, be more creative, and be more competitive now. And for me, that brings me back to the Knicks. That brings me back to the Knicks because while the Sixers have been going on stockpiling picks, not you know, unfortunately not being competitive, but still trying to build, building, 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 the Knicks. They've gone a different way. And what has it gotten them over the years? Since that 2012-2013 season where the Sixers where the Sixers imploded because Andrew Bynum ended up being a dog and the Knicks were the second team, the second best team in the East. They've both missed the playoffs every year since. 
no playoff success. Unfortunately for the Knicks, unlike the Sixers, who, you know, I just named all their first round draft picks that they've been accumulating over the years. Since that year, 2013, the Knicks have had two first round draft picks. Two. They had Porzingis and Tim Hardaway Jr., who is no longer even, he's not even on the team. He's in he's in Atlanta, I believe. Tim Hardaway Jr. is not even on the Knicks. So while the Sixers have Noel and Bede, Sarge, Okafor, and Simmons, and I understand that they might trade Okafor, they might trade Noel, either or. Fact still remains, that's five first-round draft picks that you're building around, and the Knicks have one. But hey, they're not tanking, right? They're not tanking, though. Okay. They're not us because <laughs> they're, they're, they're in a better position than us because they're not tanking. As much as people want to dismiss and discourage teams from taking on the process, which is stripping it down and starting over. I look at a team like the Knicks. I look at a team like Chicago. I look at other teams in the league, and I think that's that's more reason why you think why teams should rebuild. And should <laughs> embark on the process. If anything, maybe the only issue NBA experts might really, really have, and and they, the only issue they might really, really have with the process, and there have been so many people to cr- criticize it and take issue with it, but I think the only real issue that they might have with the Sixers is that they didn't BS about the process or try to hide it or try to act like there wasn't a process. Now, they, now granted, they never came out and just said, hey, man, we, we out here trying to lose these games. You know, that was never said. But still, you knew what they were doing and they weren't hiding it. I mean, in the end, as much as critics can complain about the Sixers, can you really say teams like Brooklyn or Phoenix or Orlando or the Lakers, can you really say they weren't tanking? And if you're going to say that, you know what, they weren't tanking, tanking, doesn't that make them look that much worse? If they weren't tanking, what are they doing? Those are teams, so you're saying those teams were maybe slightly better than the Sixers? but they were trying to win and you know the Sixers weren't? What does that say about your franchise? What does it say about your franchise now when the Sixers have twice as many wins as the Brooklyn Nets? But Brooklyn has been trying to win. Brooklyn is not tanking, remember? They're not tanking. And there was a team that for three years, people feel like they were trying to lose who's now twice as good as you are. I mean, you're looking at, you look at teams like that, you look at other teams like that, and to me, it makes me feel like, all right, you know what, this was all worth it. Now you start to see that it was worth it. You know, when you look at those other teams who on the outside of the playoffs looking in, there aren't, there aren't, many teams that you would say you'd rather have than the Sixers. When you see what the Sixers have now and what they will continue, what they have coming with them be now with whatever they get for Okafor and 
if they trade Nerlens, whatever they get for those two players. Because in the end, I don't believe that what they get will be a complete loss. I don't believe that they, they are going to trade them and take a loss. And that's something we can get into with, that's something we'll get into a little bit later, not 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 now. But, are you really trading places with, with, with the other teams? You know, of course, yeah, you know what, yes. I would trade the Sixers to be the Cavaliers right now. I'd trade the Sixers to be the Spurs or the or the Warriors. Yeah. You know, that's you know, that's a no brainer. But the other team but when you look at the lottery teams, the teams that are building, the teams that are rebuilding. Right now I'm taking a look at them and I'm taking a look at our Sixers team and I'm feeling pretty good about that. Feeling really good. You tell me what you think. You hit me up on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at BITW Sports. And let me know what you think. You're listening to the Best in the World Sports Report. Listen to this show in its entirety every Saturday at 8 a.m. on the Philly Go Flow. At Philly Go Flow.